Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this is episode 45, interview with Marco Kasich, the founder of Fund Life. And this is about exploring layers of growth. It's about building hope, identity, purpose, and influence to create lasting change. And we're going to touch not only on the impact that Marco is having through Fund Life, a grassroots nonprofit organization based in the Philippines, but how the lessons that he's learned along the way about alternative views on education, the power of experiential learning and unlocking infinite potential, layers of growth, including building hope, identity, purpose, and influence can create lasting change, and how personal experiences and a desire for meaningful impact can drive transformation and challenge traditional thinking and will uncover strategies for navigating systems, for breaking rules constructively and finding creative solutions to address societal challenges. So Marco Kasich is the founder and executive director of Fund Life, which you can find at fundlife.org. His journey and dedication to creating positive change have made a profound impact on the lives of vulnerable children and young people in the Philippines. And in this conversation, we'll uncover some remarkable initiatives that Fund Life has undertaken to provide enabling pathways for vulnerable children and young people through unique experiential learning and purposeful play. Now, they're breaking barriers. They're ensuring every child has access to a safe childhood, quality education, equitable opportunities to reach their full potential. And whether or not you're involved in the nonprofit world, if you're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, you're interested in positive influence. And Marco's experiences have a lot of relevance for anyone dealing in large-scale positive influence, whether that's thought leadership, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's in societal entrepreneurship, I think you'll find a lot of value here. So if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Please give us a review. These things help out a lot. And you also, if you're listening on an app, make sure you also check out the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It is linked to in the episode description. It has links to uh, Marco's coordinates on various social media, also for Fund Life, his nonprofit, and also resources like the Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership, which is a free guide to helping you with the building blocks of your own thought leadership. So without further ado, let's jump right in the interview. Enjoy. Thought 
So I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and I'm sitting here with Marco Kasich, who's the founder and executive director of Fund Life, a grassroots for social profit organization based in the Philippines. Fund Life combines a unique experiential learning curriculum with purposeful plays to create enabling pathways for some of the world's most vulnerable children and young people, especially those living in short-term and chronic emergencies. That's a powerful mission. Welcome, Marco. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, I, I, I love the positive mission. I love the making a difference. And we were just talking before I started recording about your alternative views on education. Uh, you want to <laughs> share a little bit of that and, and give us a little bit of a story of how that plays into the founding of Fun Life and your yeah, yeah, yeah. You're diving right in, Chris. Uh, sure, sure. So I, I, I guess... I guess everything for me with Fund Life, my own personal upbringing, uh, is is interlinked. It's all inextricably linked. So, I I grew up. I was born in Croatia, moved to London uh, with my family when I was seven. So from an early age, I didn't feel that you know I was part of that, that traditional education. I was dealing with some personal stuff, going to a new country, and essentially I never really fitted into the traditional educational system. Um, and so throughout my high school and then on to college, I just felt that education wasn't serving me. I felt I was a bit of a, I had a bit of rebellious streak that I wanted to do something. And what I realized is when I graduated, I started reading a lot of Seth Godin books. I read some autobiographies of some entrepreneurs that I admired, Richard Branson, Mohammed Yunus. So all of a sudden, all of the ideas that I initially had growing up, which were perhaps not encouraged by teachers, all of the heroes or all of the business personalities that I was starting to learn about were actually going through some of these same struggles. So essentially, I think what I realized is that I wasn't alone in thinking like this, which I felt for a long time. And then the culmination of starting Fund Life was really meeting others, learning about some of these experiential learning programs. You mentioned self-directed learning. That's exactly what we try and do. We try and create programs because we believe most of life's learning happens outside of the classroom. Um, and especially when we work with highly marginalized children and young people, they often don't have access to what you and I would call quality education. So often they don't do well in, in traditional education systems. So we create opportunities where we give them confidence as opposed to tell them that they're not doing well just because maybe their reading or mathematics is not up to what it should be. So it's a confidence building process and uh, an experiential learning process. And part of that comes from, uh, and, then, and we spoke about how I can relate to this uh, dissatisfaction with what some would call indoctrination. And I don't mean a bad mouth education. Education is awesome, but it can in some cases be more like indoctrination and less like helping people find the infinite potential within themselves and express that in their own unique ways. I and completely agree. And, and, and I think it's about identifying everyone's individual potential. I think that's the one thing that, that I certainly got out of it. I felt that, and I had a good education in the UK. So I, again, like you, I can't talk badly about it. 
but I just felt that it's really there to create obedient workers and to make sure that people follow certain rules which are in place, the status quo I mentioned. Um, and again, that works for some people. Don't, don't, I don't want to say that it doesn't work if you have a specific career in mind, but for what we do and certainly with the work, uh, with the young people we work with, we felt that there was an alternative approach that we could work with and and until now it's it's really proven quite successful especially with the demographic that we cater to that's awesome and, and we're going to return to that in a minute because i want to know some stories that, that tell of this um, positive impact that you're making through this alternative approach to education and empowerment but uh, to Grounded in something I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. I had a business at one time, had multiple locations. We we're looking at franchising it. And I went to Chicago, Illinois in the U.S., to the world's largest franchising company that helped businesses package for franchising. It's called Francorp. And the founder of Francorp, Don Borian, said that um, you need to make sure that your franchisees are rules followers, but you are the franchisors and you're not gonna be rules followers, you're rule breakers. And he said, what, you know, they, you go to school and they encourage you to go for those A's, but what you find out is the A worker ends up working for the, the B student manager, who's higher up is a, a C student who runs the plant in a company owned by the D student. And said the D student is the one who rejected the system. Not that they're stupid, that they would rejected the whole system. They didn't care about it. They saw a different way of doing things. They said, you know, selling franchisees, you're selling systems to people. So as you speed by in your car doing 80 miles an hour in a 50 mile per hour zone or 150 kph in a 100 kph zone, Hand them your pamphlet if they're following the speed limit because they're going to be the rules follower you need to run your franchise that you set up all the rules for. But you're the one who knows how to control the car, so you don't care about the speed limit. And right. the speed limits are sometimes a good thing in limited line of sight situations. Sometimes they're imposed to create um, traffic ticket revenue for small cities or an abuse that way. And we face all kinds of speed limits in our society in various forms that can hold people back from fulfilling their potential. So I'm intrigued by these ways of looking outside the system that, that have come natural to you or that you've worked to create this vision for and how that plays out in empowering these youth. It's, 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 a, great, uh, it's a great example. And uh, I, I completely agree again in terms of we are not trying to create these unreasonable young people because many of the young people we work with, they have what you and I would consider to be relatively uh, normal career paths, whether it's to become a chef, whether it's simply to graduate high school. These goals, which uh, might not seem lofty to them, it's actually something that no, no one in their family has done. So it's actually almost um, paradoxical in the way that Fund Life is about breaking some of these rules, but we actually teach young people how to have discipline, how to commit to hard work, how not to give up on tasks because they're easily discouraged. They just don't have these positive role models around them. They don't have anyone that has invested in them. So we have a great line, which we uh, took from the late uh, Rita Peterson, who was a, an amazing teacher, gave a, a very famous TED talk. 
and she says every child needs a champion and and i completely love that line because awesome. so many young people unfortunately they don't have access to either a great education system or great professors or closer to home just role models that they can emulate so our job really is to create these positive role models and then give the freedom to the young people to find out what it is that they're passionate about do they like to bake okay great so maybe you don't have to finish high school maybe we can get you to do some uh, vocational courses do an fmb course and then we can get you on the job training so we work with young people who haven't finished school but essentially we want to give them alternative employment dignified employment opportunities i should say um so it, it's really being adaptive i think that that's the key thing it's, it's we don't set one way of working it's really giving the empowerment and agency to our operation staff and creating that connection with people it's a very human centric approach which again going back to education i felt that it misses some of that human element because it it's not set up to give you know individual outcomes outside of you know what the curriculum allows so i noticed on the fun life org website on your team page it looked like you had an inverted hierarchy which i love you know and it's it's um and we're talking about rules and systems and rules are a good thing but being trapped within rules that inhibit growth and inhibit achievement is is when you have to become conscious of your ability to step outside of those rules and invent something new like you're doing. So it looks like you have less of a hierarchical top-down approach to, like you said, kind of a grass, grassroots and the real leaders perhaps are the youths and and your the job of your you and your team is to awaken this potential within them, but it really comes from them. You're creating the right environment for that through these positive role models. What are a couple of lessons you've learned along the way that you think would be relevant to our listeners who are all about achievement and influence and making a difference too, uh, and making a positive difference through achievement and influence. What are some things you've learned along the way that have been growth experiences that you might not have anticipated before they happened? Yeah, there's, there's been a few. And uh, I think the most obvious you touched on there is uh, it's just amazing what we found when we've given not just opportunity to young people, but really invested in young people. I've, I've heard the line many times by very senior incumbent leaders who talk about development saying, let youth lead, which is a great line. But the reality behind that is not often not often there. You know, if you look at most of these especially if we're talking about the development sector, NGOs, they tend to be very experienced leaders talking about what's best for children. And to me, again, that, that, that there seems to be some disconnect there in the same way, again, just because I link everything to education in the same way when I was having my education, all of my professors were maybe 30, 40 years senior to me. And I felt there was a disconnect of what I wanted based on what they had and i had that with my parents i think there's a generation gap 
So one thing that we've definitely learned is it's amazing what happens when you actually give full opportunity and full agency to young people. And so that hierarchy is not just for show. It's really, as you said, we facilitate young people and give them the confidence. They're not decision makers, but they're very much part of the steering group of the organization. And our job as leaders of the organization is to essentially say, okay, how can we support them in what they want to do? Because they know best. So that's that would be, I think, the foremost thing that, that I've learned. And again, somewhat maybe uh, paradoxical to that, it's also, I would say, the value of having mentors for myself. Because when I started Fund Life, I was 24. I was incredibly idealistic without being very pragmatic. And I had this grand vision that I could change everything, you know, that I could change the world very easily. And then as you get older, you realize that more and more, you can't fight the system, you have to find creative ways of dancing within the system, and having people help you along the way. And so I've been incredibly lucky that I've met people along the way that have helped. And my advice to anyone now starting is find a mentor, find somebody that you really admire, uh, ideally someone that you can connect with on a regular basis because most of my mentors unfortunately were either in books or people that I couldn't it was a one-way dialogue but then along the way you know I, I, I managed to find so those would be the two biggest learning I guess takeaways that I, I have looking back. That's powerful Marco and what I'm getting from that are a few things including a way to get out of your own thinking way and mentor perhaps can interrupt our pattern a little bit and and give a, a different perspective perhaps grounded in different experiences or broader experiences that we haven't yet been to which i think is related to what i perceive as something that's part of our systemic limitation of businesses if we're not careful of limiting the people that we serve by our expectations of them and knowing when to shut off our own mental models and be open to something emerging. And that, that plays in all levels of business, like sales quotas. Here's what we expect you to do, but tell somebody what you expect them to do. You might hold them back from a level that would surprise you. And that yeah. it's obviously extremely important when you're dealing with people who've perhaps been suppressed by a lack of positive role models that you're bringing to them. And who knows what surprises lurk within them that you, they maybe they themselves couldn't have anticipated from this combination of factors. So what are the combinations of factors if you had to create a list um, to empower people, to empower those that you're serving that might apply to empower pe empowering people within organizations or within an audience as well? Well, we, I think within, it's slightly different when we talk about, we don't refer to the people we help as beneficiaries. We refer to them as participants or extended stakeholders, because again, it's important for us that we build a relationship built on equality. We don't want to have this relationship where I am the mentor, you are the student, I am right, you're wrong. So essentially we refer to them as participants in our program and we can only deliver our programs if the participants engage with the coaches the coaches can only report back to the management if they're able to actually get 
reinforced or have a good feedback loop from the participants. And, and then to answer your sort of question more directly, we've identified four key elements that we try and instill in the young people we, we work with. One is hope, because you're dealing with essentially people who are in intergenerational poverty. So in introduction, you mentioned chronic and short-term emergencies. A short-term emergency is a typhoon or a natural calamity. But poverty for me is a chronic emergency because it's intergenerational. So they, there is a sense, this hopelessness when you're in poverty because all you're seeing is a future which will be just like your parents' future. So that's number one, to give them hope that there is an alternative. And that's where the role models come in because they can see people from their community that have escaped or have found a betterment. And then it's identity, figuring out what is my personal identity? Because if we introduce them to a lawyer who came from their community, maybe that young person is not focused on a degree in, in, in becoming a lawyer. Maybe they want to be a nurse. And then purpose. So once you give them the identity, then you give them a purpose. Okay, what is it that you want to achieve? You want to finish high school? What's the number one thing that you need to do? You need to attend, you need to keep your grades up. What's the plan look like? Are you up to your grades? If not, okay, how can we help? Can we give you a tutor? Can you come to homework sessions? And then finally, it's the influence part. If you achieve your goal, how is that going to influence your community? Because it's not just about that person's success. It's about becoming a positive role model for others who perhaps were where this young person was five years ago. So again, it, it's this sort of servitude attitude where it's not just, they're not just doing it for themselves. They're also doing it because they could potentially help others in their community or just their family because the family is also suffering through economic hardship. So if they can succeed or, or get to a level where they can produce some kind of dignified and respectable income, it helps others, not just themselves. I, I like how you layer that. It, it seems to be similar to the model I'm familiar with of neurological levels of identity and beliefs and behaviors. And intervening at the right level is important, obviously, because somebody might have the skills to achieve a better life, but if they don't believe that they can, or if they don't identify, with someone who has risen from poverty and created success and then gone on to make an impact on their community as a whole and help lift the whole community up by both their example and the interplay of what they're doing to better themselves and those around them. That's powerful. So what is it that personally drives you to make such a difference? Where do you find your own motivation to create this kind of positive change through fun life? I, I think uh, for, for me, it's it's also a personal journey. As I said, I, I felt that, you know, without being too dramatic about it, I, I felt a little bit betrayed by the education system that I had because it's not cheap to go to college in the UK. Not only is it a financial investment, it's a time investment for three years. Yeah. And when I graduated, I felt everything I was being taught was completely irrelevant in, in, in the real world because I was asked to smile. In interviews, I wasn't asked what I knew about business. I was asked which university I went to, as opposed to 
how did I manage to achieve such a good grade going to a very bad university? So I just felt I had a responsibility. And again, I, I, I felt that uh, my parents always used to say to me, you know, as, as sort of immigrants or refugees coming to the UK, that I have this opportunity to do something in the UK. And I took that personally. And I felt if I'm going to dedicate my career for the next 30 years to something, why not dedicate it to something where I felt I could make a difference? And my own personal belief came because I spent a year in corporate finance in London. And I realized within six months, two things. One, no matter how much money I could make, it wasn't what motivated me. It just, it just wasn't my driver. And then I could, I, it gave me the confidence that I could go out, leave the UK, figure out what I wanted to do. And if it didn't work out, I can come back after two years and I can always go back to finance and make money. So I had that security blanket and that gave me this huge sort of confidence personally to do these things. And then, as I said, as I read more books, as I started listening to more thought leaders, especially in the social entrepreneurship, in the development space, it just made, it was just common sense to me. Why aren't we doing things better? Why aren't there other NGOs that are working with young people? Why do we keep on promoting this charity? Why do I get home and why do I get home after work and all I see are these terrible commercials asking for two dollars a month because there are children in Africa and in Southeast Asia dying and I have I felt guilty so I just didn't agree with this traditional way of thinking and and again I started questioning who is this for who is this actually benefiting so it was you know all these sort of personal and professional experiences that sort of slowly led me down this path. It wasn't an overnight decision, but it was just sort of something that had been building up over a number of years. But it sounds to me, what I'm seeing is that the security of the financial career gave you some grounding and confidence to express your higher values of making a difference. I... I think so. And also the confidence, because as I said, I didn't go to the best university and I was dismissed before I was even made to interview. But then I, I have this I have this trait where I remember I applied for a management consultancy role because when I finished my business degree, I felt that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was, but it sounded cool. It sounded like I can be a consultant. And I realized I was being rejected, ironically, by an officer in the Philippines. And essentially, I realized I could hack the system. I, I identified who the head of graduate recruitment was, uh -huh. and I called him personally. And I said, look, this makes no sense. Why am I being judged by somebody who has zero information on what I've overcome? And again, so I kind of had this confidence of understanding how to work the system and, and again, influence people. I think that's that's when I look at leadership, I think it's our ability to influence people for good or for bad, depending on, you know, what kind of leadership we're talking about. Oh, sure. And, and systems govern the performance of people. So your ability to get outside the system. And that's, I think that's really powerful for our listeners as, as an advocate for systems thinking in general, because it helps you 
look beyond surface level events where people get stuck in systems traps and we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to make a difference, whether it's social entrepreneurship and relieving poverty and giving hope and making a difference in the living standards of a whole group of people as a result, whether it's in business entrepreneurship where we see an opportunity to enrich people's lives through a vision for a whole different kind of product or different use for a product or service that that comes from being able to see things as a whole and, and thereby see where you can make that little tweak that really makes a difference and which is often belief systems how we how we think about things limits how they work and you obviously think on that level and that's given you the ability to make this kind of impact and and i see it expressing in things like a flat hierarchy and and the the belief that we are equals with those people that we're working with and their visions for themselves might be greater than the vision we have for them if we're not careful not to impose our the limitations of our own vision for them. Do you have a, I'm sure you have plenty of them, but can you share a, a personal story of impact on a person or a group in particular that really gave you this sense of making a difference in your work? We, we, we have, as you said, many antidotal ones, but I think uh, as, as, as sort of maybe preface this by saying I grew up in London and I played soccer, football was my sport. And throughout my childhood, I grew up believing that sport divides in the sense that if I support this team and someone supports a rival team, it creates this sort of tension. It's very tribal. Right. And that was always my belief system. When I went to the Philippines, I volunteered for a very small volunteer-led NGO working in one of the most deprived slums. And before I started volunteering, I had met so many shy Filipinos who were educated, but they just had this inferiority complex when they were speaking to a foreigner. And then when I went to this slum in Manila, I met these eight, 10, 12 year old children who were full of confidence, who treated me as if I was their best friend. And it took me a while to understand the mechanics, but as I learned more, I realized all this was possible through sports. And so essentially it was this side, it was what this individual had done. He was a former football player and he completely changed the entire dynamics of what it meant to come from this incredibly poor and deprived slum. When these children went to compete at local football games, they had an identity of being the famous children from Tondo. They weren't the children from the slum but they had this aura about them, almost like the, the Harlem Globetroppers, if you like. Yeah. So this was incredible and this was organic. This wasn't forced. This was really just by giving them access, investing in them through one-to-one -one connection and really giving them this, as I mentioned, this hope, identity and purpose. And so that, that whole community, since I've been part of sort of volunteering in the last 15 years, Again, they've just gone strength to strength. It's expanded the program. And we've used that same approach. And, and in terms of our own success, we've given scholarships to young people. We've seen, we've seen young people who have had nobody in their family graduate school, go on to college. We've seen them finish. 
we've essentially seen lives and and families turned around through just simply following this very simple easy to understand project because it's really about empowerment and for me the easiest ways to give someone the belief as you said remove those belief systems that's powerful and uh, that reminds me i is a former athlete from many years ago i had a view of sports as competition is a way to bring out the best in you not to defeat the other team although the game rules are set up that way uh, but as using the athletic competition as a way to draw into hidden human reserves to to find deeper reserves than you could have known without the trigger the external trigger of that and at the same time, I can relate also to your initial belief system about how competitive sports embeds analogies into how we look at each other in society. And it reminds me of a story of a African tribe. One of my remote mentors, I haven't worked with him directly, but I've studied a lot, a, a guy named John Grinder who teaches linguistics and human potential, um, told a story of a tribe in Africa where it was essential to have cooperation instead of competition because they all had to work together for a successful hunt. So the children had a game where they would all sit on a tree and they'd have to jump off at exactly the same time for the tree to safely come back straight without any of them getting injured. So they had games of cooperation where they had to work together instead of games of competition. But at the same time, I think with the right point of view, competitive games as a way to bring out the best in people is powerful as well. So what are, um, I, I, go ahead. No, I, I think uh, there's, a, there's a great quote by one of the founding fathers of the Olympic games where he said, it's not about uh, winning. It's or it's not about conquering. It's about competing well. And again, I, I I believe in competition. Also, I think we don't believe in equality of outcome. We just believe in equality of opportunity. And and, and as you said, I just yeah, love that love that example that you shared. Sure, sure. And it's about competing with yourself over time. You know, the athlete who has the best chance of winning. The run is not the one who's so focused on the other runners, but is focused on achieving their own best performance and, and progressing within themselves, but then expresses in how they perform in competition, but the focus is on self-to-self -self betterment. So what are a few key lessons, key principles, ways of being? We've talked a lot about this, but to consolidate it into a working list. If someone's listening to this podcast thinking that Marco's inspiring, he sees the big picture, he's making a difference. Um, what, what are the key things that a listener could benefit from your experience and apply in their own leadership? Maybe three or four key points first, and then second, how can we help you? How can a listener make a difference for fun life through, through whatever way you'd like to get support and how would they reach you or your organization to do that? Um, I think just, just thinking in terms of things that have worked for me personally, and again, everyone is slightly different, but for me, I think it's, uh, there was a great quote I heard that 
every successful entrepreneur knows how to leave their ego at the door. And I think for, for me, just knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know and being completely comfortable with that, that often I think being vulnerable almost, you can say that. I think that's that's been a huge asset for us. Uh, and it doesn't always work well, but with most people, I think if they know your intentions behind the work, they want to help. So just, just going into situations where maybe you don't feel comfortable or just leaving your ego at the door has been a huge help for us. And again, asking for help. Uh, I'm not afraid to, to do that in terms of, of others. Um, the other thing I think that is key for anyone trying to do something is trust your gut. I think for me, almost every decision that uh, we've taken has come without, we've been working a lot on the idea of first principle. There was no blueprint for what we've done. But as we started moving forward, we started seeing best practices with other NGOs that perhaps were using sports for development for the last 20 years. And we realized, oh, wow, you know, we've been doing this. They've been doing something slightly different. Let's adapt. So I think being open to the work of others, and as you said, learning from others as opposed to competing against others. We always want to share our work. And, and that's the other thing I believe to be not just successful, but to be mentally healthy and satisfied. I think you need to work with others or be willing to share. I think too many people can be quite protective, especially in the NGO sector, which is surprising. I think there's enough resources in the world, but also in, the, in our sector where we should be collaborating and sharing more. Um, and then uh, in terms of the, the, the second part, uh, forgive me, I've lost the, the, the second part of your, your question. This, the second part is for our listeners who are thinking, I love your cause, Marco. I want to help. How would they help and how would they reach you or your organization to do that? Yeah, if, if, if anyone is in, uh, motivated or, or wants to know more, please, you know, you, you have the website, as you mentioned, which is fundlife.org. Our contact details are there. I'm also on LinkedIn. and happy to have a discussion because, again, maybe what we do is not fit for everyone, but maybe they can take some of the ideas that we've used. Um, right now, we're, we're in a healthy place. We have some amazing partners that we're working with, um, but it's more about connecting with individuals, even if they want to apply some of the principles we have within their own communities. I'm happy to you know, have that discussion with anyone that wants to reach out. Um, and we're always on the lookout for skills-based uh, volunteers, I would say, because some people want to visit the Philippines, want to engage with the communities. Again, our principle is that all of our staff are from the communities where we work to develop young people. That's part of our philosophy that it should be locally led. Um, but we always encourage skills-based volunteers. So if they have a particular business skill or something that could help our staff increase their capacities, again, we would like to hear from people to share their knowledge. So, so those, I would say, are the, the main ways. But please feel free to reach out if you're touched or motivated by anything that you and I have been discussing. This is awesome. And, and I'm 
for you, the listener, I'm going to put these links on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on an app, there will be a link to that page in the episode description. This has been awesome, Marco. I really appreciate your time and engagement. Very inspiring. Thank you so much, Chris. Pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio, your ongoing workshop in positive mass influence. In this podcast, I aim to help the listener access their creative inspiration and harness it to design strategic thought leadership that empowers your audience, your prospects, your customers, and your followers with high-level influence and learning. The intention is to make this accessible, make it deep, by presenting learning in layers with simple and memorable takeaways for conscious learning and more advanced skills building integrated for those who want the deeper dive. And of course, we support it with the website thoughtleadershipstudio.com. We support it with these interviews with models of thought leadership excellence like Marco Kasich. And no matter what you do, given that you're interested in thought leadership. I think there's a lot of lessons from Marco's history that apply in knowing how to break out of a system, look at things from a fresh perspective, find mentors, address making positive change at the right level, and to understand there's multiple levels of change when you're impacting people. You can impact them on a level of identity and beliefs, and that's more powerful than just addressing things like their behaviors and their performance because the identity and belief level are higher levels of change. And Marco gave some great examples of that. So thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't. Make sure you give a review if you haven't. Make sure you go to thoughtleadershipstudio.com and check out the free resources there if you haven't. The episode link is in the description. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio.